lone wolf. This is Wolf Den. It's Rambo, sir. We read you, lone wolf. What is your position? Over. John Rambo. Helicopter and language qualified. Expert in light weapons and guerrilla warfare. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert, with a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. Well, Rambo was the best. He has demolished an American town and survived missions in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Burma. Now he faces his biggest challenge. The now playing Rambo retrospective series. You wish to test your strength. Good. Taking on Rambo will be Jacob. What you choose to call hell, he goes home. Brock. I just like to say that I feel with your participation, this mission has a better than average chance to succeed rather than fail. And Arnie. Who are you? Who are you? They will draw first blood and review all four Rambo films. Others people to satisfy, questions that have to be answered. These conversations will reveal top-secret information and contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I didn't come here to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. Today we're talking about First Blood, starring Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, Brian Dennehy, and David Caruso. <laughs> Directed by Ted Kotcheff. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob from L.A. Are you related to Stuart in L.A.? <laughs> you have the same last name. No, we're, we're different in L.A.'s, uh, different clans. Sa- same country, different clans. And this is Arnie. God didn't create Now Playing. I did. All right, and thank goodness for that. And we're here to discuss the Rambo series. And this is the first episode in this retrospective series. We'll be going through all four Rambo films. And I guess we should start off talking about our approach to the series and our approach to the character, etc. So I guess I'll start. This is going to date myself a bit. The first Rambo movie I saw was actually the second one in the series. And I saw it on Betamax. My dad bought the tape from a rental store. And back then... I don't know if you guys remember this, but videos were like a hundred bucks if you wanted to own one. And we went to this place. They were clearing out their beta movies back when rental stores had VHS and beta sections. He picked up a bunch of movies. This is one of them he picked up for the low price to like $40. As a kid, huge explosive action movie. I, I watched that movie quite a bit. And then uh, when I got older, you know, I I saw the first three uh, all out of order, but I eventually saw the first three Rambo movies. But uh, as I got into my teenage years and and became more politically aware and and punk rock, Rambo was like a dirty word because Reagan did this big thing with him and and built him up as this big American hero and and being a punk rocker, anti-establishment. You don't like that kind of stuff. So just maybe a, a year or two ago, I revisited First Blood. I found it. For like five bucks at Best Buy. And, and I bought it because it had a commentary track by Sylvester Stallone. And that was my draw to like check out First Blood again because it's Sylvester Stallone. I wanted to see if you could actually understand anything he was saying during the commentary track and what he could really bring to the character. I had a very interesting experience revisiting First Blood. We'll get into that during this podcast. So I'm familiar with the character. I remember I was a little too old for when the cartoon came out because nothing says children's cartoons and children's toy line like a mercenary Vietnam vet that goes around the world (laughs) killing people. Now, Jacob, as now playing always has the three different point of views, I'm going to ask you to show your hand a little bit on this one. Are you coming in as obviously not the newbie? Are you coming in as the skeptic or the fan? 
I'm coming in as the skeptic here. Just knowing my taste for action movies, I love action movies, but I have a very specific taste in what I look for in an action movie. I always want to enjoy a movie that I watch and review for now playing, but I got some reservations going into this series. Well, that, to reveal my hand, would make me the fan. Now, much like Jacob, I'm going to date myself and say I have a little bit of a storied history with First Blood. For some reason, when I was really young and in the early 80s, I thought any movie that wasn't involving Muppets or Jedi was a boring drama. (laughs) Isn't that the case? Still? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that why you didn't like The Aviator? There there was no Muppet Howard Hughes in it? Gonzo would have been a great Howard Hughes, I tell you. Yes. I honestly think it's because my parents told me that rated R films meant they were boring and for adults and kids wouldn't like them. Hmm. When my drunk uncle came to visit from Maine, he would start drinking beer at 10 a.m., whiskey at 2 p.m., and watch videos all day because he didn't have a VHS machine. And one of the films he rented was Rambo, and I was pissed off. I couldn't watch my cartoons because he was watching one of those R-rated boring dramas. And I started watching it, and I'm like, this looks intriguing to my eight-year-old self. But I didn't really revisit it again until much later when, and I'm going to embarrass myself now, by saying I used to be a big fan of Tango and Cash. Wow, that's FUBAR, man. You're you're admitting that on the air? I am. I'm not saying it's my current position, but when Tango and Cash was new, I was a fan. And so I went back at that point and tried to watch the Rambo films and really liked them at that age for their action. At least Rambo 1 and 2. I never saw Rambo 3 because the VHS tape in the only rental store in my small Florida town broke. I got to see half of it. The tape broke. Never saw the rest. Fast forward maybe 20 years. I see the steel box DVD set. And I'm like, I haven't seen Rambo in forever, but I remember liking it. So let me spend $50. And I went back and I watched First Blood and we we're going to talk about it. But I just thought it was an astounding film. I thought it was revelatory. I just couldn't believe how good it was. Then I watched Rambo 2. We'll talk about what I thought about that. For some reason, I just never got to Rambo 3. <laughs> I still, to this day, have never seen Rambo 3. Watching it for this podcast will be my first time seeing Rambo 3. But yeah, I am a big fan of specifically First Blood and Rambo as an icon, although I will talk a lot about what Rambo's iconography means, to the point that over on our sister podcast, Books and Nachos, I'm going to be reviewing not just First Blood by David Morrell, but actually the novelization of First Blood Part 2 and Rambo 3, both of which were also strangely written by David Morrell, who, if you don't know, wrote the First Blood novel in the late 60s, had it published in 72. He then sold the film rights, but came back to do the novelizations. I've never heard of this happening before, ever. Yeah. So I'm very interested in that. He will be joining us on Books and Nachos to talk about that process. So you can find all of that. A new episode's going to come out every week with the Now Playing episode at booksandnachos.com. And that I guess that leaves me as the newbie. And before all of you ask again, Brock, what did you watch as a child? (laughs) Not this. Um, (laughs) Rambo is the poster child for, in my house, of R-rated violent movies. And my parents wouldn't let us watch R-rated movies and especially R-rated violent movies until 
we were a little older. So by the time Rambo 3 came out, I probably would have been able to go see that in the theater without anything with my parents. So by the time I got around to being a teenager and watching, you know, some of these movies, my friends had already seen the Rambo movies. We were watching Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme when we go to the video store and rent movies for, you know, action movies and things. So Lethal Weapon and Die Hard were, were around then. I never went around to Rambo. I never got back there. So this is the first time I've actually got a chance to watch these movies. and I'm looking forward to it. A couple of years ago, I was going to watch this series and I believe I asked Arnie, are we going to do this sometime? <laughs> so, I, so I held off. So there you go. You prolonged the magic. Yeah, I figured, you know, if we're going to do this, I should come in fresh. So I'm the newbie on this one, and I'm very much looking forward to watching this series. And I should say that this is one of the seminal movie franchises, despite only having four installments. I mean, Star Wars only had three for the longest time, and it was a seminal movie franchise as well. So I think that this is one that we had to get to. We kind of back There was a lot of talk of Rambo 5, which essentially boils down to Rambo versus Predator. I'm not even kidding. Oh, will they really do that? They talked about it. It was going to be based off of a sci-fi novel, and it was going to be the fact that Rambo has defeated everything on Earth, so now he must fight something from space. He's killed all the other non-white people on Earth. (laughs) Now it's time to kill another species. Take that xenophobia to a whole new level. But (laughs) it has now been said, sadly, that that is probably not going to happen. Rambo may have had his last outing, at least as Stallone. And so because of that, it kind of freed us up to bring this to you for this November series. So I I am looking forward to revisiting all of these movies. Now, Sylvester Stallone. Jacob, you said you were interested in hearing if the man could speak. You actually went for the whole commentary just for that. My knowledge of him is I consider myself almost anti-Sylvester Stallone, but then I look at the number of movies I've seen with him in it, and the fact that I watched Judge Dredd and like Demolition Man and Cliffhanger, the man intrigues me. He, He usually makes movies I like, even if I don't like him in them. He makes the type of movies that I should like. Mm-hmm. You like when shit blows up, is what you're saying. And he happens to be in a lot of movies where stuff blows up. <laughs> yeah. True. That's absolutely true. <laughs> but I'm not a fan of dumb gun movies. I find gun movies to wait, be Wait, wait, wait. You said you like Cliffhanger, though. No, I said I've seen Cliffhanger. I said I like Demolition oh, okay. Man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but when those two movies came out, Cliffhanger and Demolition Man, the first time I saw them, you know, I was like young, I was 17, 18 years old, and they're, you know, a Friday night movie with your friends. You could do worse than watching Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. If I watched them now, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like them. I can pretty much guarantee it. But back then, when you're hanging out with your friends, you can do worse than watching a Stallone movie like that. I know Stallone from Rocky, and so... I always wanted to watch these movies because I knew them from Rocky. You know, this isn't the now playing episode for Demolition Man, but I actually do like that. (laughs) Here's what I'm getting at with action films, because we're talking about stuff blowing up. I like action movies where there's subtext to it, where it's not about just the action. And so you could have a good movie that happens to have action. And then you have your action movies. And I think the eighties had a lot of smart action films. You had Die Hard, which had themes of multinationalism, the the Japanese running these big corporations. And it's also a nice little love story about an estranged husband and wife. You have Robocop with its religious themes. Then I think as you move away from those, you get into your nineties with your cliffhanger and everything became, Hey, let's do a Die Hard, but in a different setting. So we're going to do a Die Hard on a mountain. Or you, you know, get all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and Steven Seagal, and there's no subtext to him. It's just like, we're just going to watch stuff blow up. I'm going to argue with you about the era because I don't think Commando 
and Red Heat. I'm not saying everything. I, <laughs> Arnie, I'm not saying every movie, action movie from the 80s was a pure action film with lots of subtext. I'm saying I saw a lot more of that from movies of that era than when we get into the 90s. And I think that's something, you know, I, I try to think of the big action films of the 90s, and I think of Seagal and Van Damme, and I watched very few of those movies because they were boring. They they weren't smart. I just liked something more than stuff blowing up and gun shooting. You know, all the phallic imagery. If I'm going to get that, I want some brains behind it. I want someone to see what's subversive behind all the, the, the phallic explosions and all that. Jacob, I think that you're citing the exceptions instead of the rule. I, too, enjoy a smart action movie, and I'm not a big fan of exploding things for exploding sake. But Commando popped to mind instantly when you were talking. And I have seen Commando, and it is no diehard. It's a kind of movie that people enjoy, but Die Hard is so smart. Even Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 have a little more going for it than a Commando does, you know? So there are smart action movies. I think saying all of them in the 80s is inaccurate. And likewise, all of them in the 90s not is, I think, inaccurate. They just tended to also be cross-genre, like Robocop to a degree. You have your action sci-fi, and you have your action comedy, and there were far less just blow shit up movies. Except for, like you mentioned, all of the direct-to-DVD Van Damme stuff, which really, I associate that kind of stuff with late 80s more than anything. The whole run-and-gun genre, I think, peaked around the time of Rambo 3. But Stallone. Did we start with Stallone? I don't like him either. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big, muscly guy, and yeah, I've seen Rocky. I, I think he's good in that first one, but he's not someone I turn to. He just doesn't do it for me, is what I'm getting at. One of my favorite movies of all time is Oscar, and I always think people give him a bad rep. I think Stallone has certain things that he can do, and I think Stallone doesn't get enough credit. Flex his muscles. <laughs> well, I think he may not get enough credit for the things that he does well, but because there's so many things that we all have noticed that he doesn't do as well as other people. And when I think of Stallone, I jump right away to Rocky. But after that, since I hadn't seen Rambo, I jumped to Demolition Man. I jumped to Judge Dredd. And I jumped to Tango and Cash. And I look at those kinds of movies and I'm like, yeah, I'm not impressed. I think he might deserve a little more credit for some things that he does than often people give him credit for. And again, I just had this propensity to not like him and yet... I think he chooses interesting projects. I don't think, by and large, the man can or tries to act. His big comeback movie of Copland, I found terrible. I did not like in the least. But in Copland, him gaining weight got more press than anything else. Stallone was taking acting seriously. He's putting on pounds. Doesn't look like Sylvester Stallone anymore. And weight is not an actor make. But let us not forget that he is an Academy Award nominated screenwriter and actor. So that means he's one of the best in the world, according to the Academy of Motion Pictures. In 1976. Hey, and 3-2 Mafia has an Oscar for best song, so I I don't know. <laughs> Point Jacob. They got an Oscar before Martin Scorsese. I don't trust the Academy. I think everyone has maybe one good film or maybe two good films, and I think Rocky is there. That's Stallone's lasting legacy. And we could also argue, though, that right up there with his legacy is Rambo. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what he's known for. I mean, there's Rambo and there's Rocky. That's who you think of with Stallone. It's those two characters, and they're almost inseparable. So why don't we uh, start <laughs> off here with a, um, a, a, a plot summary, and then we can get into the movie. The movie opens with John Rambo, a Vietnam vet, Green Beret, in the Pacific Northwest to visit Delmar Berry, a friend from his unit. 
He arrives to find that Delmar died as a result of Agent Orange. Rambo then goes to the town of Hope, Washington, looking for something to eat, but he's picked up by Sheriff Will Teasel, played by Brian Dennehy, who doesn't like Rambo's long hair and looks, and wants the drifter out of town. Cordial, he offers Rambo a ride to the city limits, and politely but sternly tells Rambo not to return to Hope. Rambo immediately turns around and heads back towards the center of town and is arrested by Teasel. At the police station, Rambo resists arrest and is beaten by the sadistic Deputy Galt, which triggers Rambo to have flashbacks to his torture while held at a North Vietnamese prison camp. Rambo fights off the deputy, steals a motorcycle, and heads for the nearby woods, Teasel and his men in pursuit. Galt follows in a helicopter and tries to shoot Rambo. Rambo throws a rock at the helicopter and Galt falls to his death. The remaining deputies are radioed and told that Rambo is a decorated war hero, and they find themselves picked off one by one by Rambo's guerrilla tactic non-lethal booby traps. He captures Teasel, and with a knife to the sheriff's throat, Rambo tells Teasel he could have killed all the deputies and Teasel should let it go. But Teasel wants to avenge Galt, and so the National Guard is called in, as is Colonel Troutman, Rambo's commanding officer during the war. Troutman also tells Teasel to let Rambo go, and that he'll be arrested working at a car wash in Seattle and there won't be any fight, but Teasel again refuses to give up. The inept weekend warriors of the National Guard chase Rambo into a cave and use a rocket launcher to collapse the cave, and then strike Iwo Jima poses in celebration, but Rambo is not dead. He hijacks one of the guard's trucks, stealing an M60, and returns to the town, blowing up a gas station, shooting up the town, and eventually breaking into the police station where Teasel's on the roof with a rifle. Rambo shoots Teasel through the ceiling, and then Rambo is confronted by Troutman. Rambo reveals that with Delmar dead, he is the last surviving member of his unit, and his treatment by the American people, being called a baby killer, and his inability to get a job, plus all the terrible memories of what happened to him in Vietnam, have just pushed him to the edge. In the end, Troutman takes Rambo peacefully, and we see Teasel, wounded but alive, being loaded onto an ambulance. Let's start at the beginning, and we have Rambo walking to his friend's beautiful, I guess, lakeside or oceanside house, trying to visit his old army buddy, and they have this interesting scene with the wife and Rambo discussing wanting to see his friend and his friend dying, Delmar. And I found this scene interesting because of how Stallone plays it compared to the rest of the movie. He seemed very cordial and conversational and happy. And as soon as you hear about Delmar's death, it's like, a switch went off. And if you think about the beginning of the movie and then you think about what happens afterwards, I found that very interesting that he played it that way. You know what, Brock? After talking all that smack about Stallone, I am going to completely agree with you. I was totally thrown off by how Stallone acted during this first scene, the first part of this movie. He's very almost timid and meek. He's not the tough guy at all. You, you know, it just totally threw me off. I'm like, this guy's like a puppy dog. It goes so counter what I thought when I think of Sylvester Stallone. I actually got sucked in right away as I was watching this. I'm like, oh, this guy, is, this guy, he's a, a, a timid, you know, down on his luck bum, but he's not dangerous. Honestly, when I think of Rambo and when I close my eyes and think of Rambo, you know what I see? I see Weird Al Yankovic in UHF going, ah, that, that's what I see. <laughs> and th that's the image of Rambo. But you look at First Blood, where Rambo started, that's not what he is. And you see him in the scene, and yeah, he is the everyman, and he's wearing the green army coat. Basically, he's David Banner from the Hulk, wandering from town to town with his little green bag. But here's what I found interesting, to use Brock's word, about this, is that Rambo's a Vietnam vet. Now, this is in 1982. There really hadn't been a lot of movies that touched on Vietnam at this point. There was Apocalypse Now, which was in Vietnam, but was also, you know, the Joseph 
Conrad Heart of Darkness, and we had Deer Hunter, but really, Vietnam was a topic that was still very raw in 82, and filmmakers still were very tentative about approaching the topic. Novelists did it a lot more. David Morrell wrote the novel to this back in 72. So, what did you guys think about the references to Agent Orange and the Vietnam experience here at the beginning? Well, I don't know if you guys have uncles or, or any close relatives that fought in Vietnam. I have an uncle that did very close to him. And so I remember even growing up as, as a kid, I always knew, oh, man, my uncle fought like in this war in, in Vietnam. So I was always very sensitive when I'd hear things or read things, even at a young age, just because I knew my uncle fought in this war. He would never talk about it to this day. He won't talk about it. And I have a best friend whose father is a Vietnam vet and his dad unless he gets really, really, really drunk, he will not talk about the war. So that, that always intrigued me that I knew people in this war that never talked about it. You know, I was a kid when these movies came out. So I had that interest in Vietnam. I didn't know what the surrounding was, you know, what the country's emotional investment into the Vietnam War was in the 80s or how they were dealing with that. But I found that interesting going back now, even today, and watching it in that context where it was portraying, you know, I, I know the Vietnam vets were treated very different than any other war veterans. And so that's what really got my interest in watching First Blood this time around is seeing how they really examined how these vets were treated going off of like World War II, where all the vets were huge heroes and knowing now how Vietnam vets are, are viewed or were viewed in the 60s as baby killers and that, that that really got me interested in just that historical context. And I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition to the way that Stallone was came to see his friend Delmar and then to have his wife tell him how he died. It was sobering and it was the reality and it hit me like a ton of bricks right there. And it just opened my eyes to what this character has. So when he's wandering into this town, the next scene, I couldn't get out of my mind that all that's running through this guy's mind right now is his friend's death and all that kind of stuff going on in his head. And so for me, what it did was it helped me get on this guy's side a little bit. And for me, my father was actually drafted for the Vietnam War where he served in Seattle. He was not exactly combat. He was a physician. and <laughs> He was drafted and forced to go to Seattle for a number of years. I don't know if anybody remembers the Time Life books, but in the early 80s, I'd watch TV and there was this series for Time Life books and there'd be a kid going, Mom or Dad? what's Vietnam? And then a voiceover, what's Vietnam? A seemingly simple question with no simple answers. And then they advertise a Time Life series about the Vietnam War. And that was my exposure to the Vietnam War was, well, what is Vietnam? I, they're, they're telling me there's no simple answer. So I went to encyclopedias and started researching it way back then. And now, of course, to us today, I mean, hell, now it's parodied in Tropic Thunder. It's kind of parodied in Forrest Gump. And of course, we've got Platoon, and which really opened all the doors and born on the 4th of July, Oliver Stone and all of that. Now it doesn't seem like that much. But I think that back in 82, it wasn't an interesting choice. It was a brave choice. But it was one from the novel. But, you know, they could have always glossed that over. But to leave him a Vietnam vet, and in fact, they added to the book in this movie. This Delmar character having died was completely added in this movie. I don't think they even knew about Agent Orange still way back when this book was written in 72. That was kind of a later post-pullout development. And so I think that it was a very brave choice. 
Well, Arnie, when you're saying they could have glossed the Vietnam stuff over, I mean, what 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 do you mean? That that's such a pivotal part of this movie, making a Korean War vet. I I don't get to what you're saying. They have to address the Vietnam thing. That's what this movie for me is about is dealing with our Vietnam vets and how they were treated differently than all other vets before them. That's definitely what the book is about. This movie, it's somewhat what it's about, but also I think that it's Hollywood. Don't tell me that they couldn't have gone, ah, Vietnam's too risky. It's going to hurt our box office. Why don't we just make him a soldier in general and not say what he's from and leave all that out? This movie was optioned very quickly back in the 70s. It was in development hell for nearly a decade. Almost everybody in Hollywood passed on this role. It went through screenwriter after screenwriter, company after company. So it was seen as something that wouldn't be successful. And Vietnam very well may have been part of that reason. I have to agree, Jacob, that while it certainly is in this movie and it's it's there in subtle ways and then they take the subtlety out the window and call it out a couple of times here and there, uh, it's not really what the movie's about. And it certainly is a reason this movie happens, but I don't think it's what the movie's about. Okay, we'll and, about. and as we get into this, we could disagree with that. So it goes into town and runs right into Brian Dennehy. I loved the irony of the town's name being Hope. At the same time, I thought it was terribly obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't like that at all. I'm like, really? They're, they're Go. It's holiday land, land of ho- welcome to hope. I'm oh come on. Would you guys like to know something funny? That wasn't scripted. That wasn't from the book. They actually shot this in Hope, Vancouver, and that sign was there. So we have Brian Dennehy saying hi to everybody in the town. We get the idea of the small town. He knows everybody. Brian Dennehy is just so wonderfully cast in this movie. Now I don't know Brian Dennehy from a ton of stuff. I mean, when I think of Brian Dennehy, what comes to mind is FX. Rambo and Tommy Boy. What about Cocoon? Not really a big fan. (laughs) There goes that (laughs) retrospective. I think he's just so great at this because he's a physically intimidating actor. He's a little bit older, which is good so he can portray that older generation. But he's got a physical presence and you just wouldn't want to fuck with him. I got to say this. While I thought he was well cast and I thought he played a lot of this good, I couldn't get over the fact that he was playing the same notes over and over again. And I was getting a little tired of it towards the end. So while I thought he did okay, okay in the first half of the movie, I, th- I didn't think he finished it well. And I'm going to kind of agree with you there, Brock. I mean, I like Dennehy. I think he plays the character well. I like that he's this big, intimidating character that he's not going to back down. I like that. My problem with his character is his character, not his, you know, not Brian Dennehy's acting or anything like that. He just seemed to one note. Like you said, Brock is just the same thing over and over. Okay, he doesn't like this guy with long hair that comes into his town. And he's apparently willing to go to war over long hair. And I really don't get what any of his motivation is, except he's the jerk sheriff and cops are jerks. I didn't like that about his character. Why is he going to keep going and going? I mean, ah, Jacob, you mentioned earlier that this movie is about Vietnam vets not being accepted. Well, if they had Brian Dennehy have a reason for not liking Vietnam veterans or people he thought were Vietnam veterans or something like that, besides I don't like drifters in my town, the motivation for him to, to these lengths wasn't there. Furthermore, if he's a stubborn man and has to have that much control, they did not set it up enough for him to go to the lengths he goes to. I feel you both are underselling him because every time I've seen this movie, now this conversation is going to be tinged by the fact that I just reviewed the book for now blank, but even before before I did that, 
I've never seen Denny He as the villain in this, ever. And as many times as I've seen this, you guys, I think Denny He sells with his performance the fact that he doesn't want this war, but he feels he has to go to war because it's his job, it's his duty, and he's not going to be shown up. But initially, this opening scene where he's giving Rambo that ride tells me everything I need to see that this isn't a man who's going to immediately try to go up against this kid. He just wants order in his town more than anything. He's doing his job to the letter and nothing's going to make him not do his job. No, what? He's not doing his job to the letter. He's kicking a guy out of his town because he doesn't like the way he looks. That is called fascism. <laughs> That's not doing his job. For whatever reason, he's got a chip on his shoulder and I don't know why in this film. He has this line where he says, oh, that's brave, you know, you wearing a flag on a jacket like that coming into our town. What You're not allowed to wear an army coat with an American flag? Like, I don't get what his problem is with John J. Rambo at, at the beginning of this film, except that he has long hair and he doesn't like that. And then when he comes back over the bridge, he gets all huffy puffy and gets right in his face. He gets right on him. He tried to deal with the problem since his plan was did not go through because John Rambo and I cheered when he came back over the bridge. He got right on his face and right on him for no reason. Completely overreacted for no reason there at all without any good motivation to do so. I guess for me, the motivation was he's trying to keep hippies out of his town. Now, the fact that he's anti-hippie seems a little bit out of place in 1982. I had a mullet in 82. Didn't everybody have long hair in 82? But (laughs) when this book came out in the 70s, I could see that a lot more. But I still took it as he was trying to protect his town. And then this kid just defied him. And so he didn't immediately get violent. He tried to arrest him. Rambo kept walking and then he took him down. It's not like he was Galt. If there's a villain in this, it's Galt, who's like the only person who dies. I totally agree with Galt. He's much worse than Teasel in this film. I think Teasel is portrayed very neutrally. And you say one note because Teasel's always, I'm going to go after him. Well, isn't Rambo almost equally one note except for that scene at the beginning and the scene at the end? His one note is, I'm going to attack if I'm pushed. It's two one note characters who in several ways could be seen as very similar. Here's the difference with Rambo. The way I see him, I see the subtext of this film being Frankenstein. Rambo is Frankenstein's monster. And we get into Troutman, we could explore that more. But he is this monster that the government created that once he gets turned on, he cannot stop. So for me, the exploration is, is that Rambo's fault or is that something he's a product of the government, a product of war? Once that switch gets flipped, I expect Rambo to be one note that you've taken him back to Vietnam. You've taken him back to the war and he was trained. He was made to finish a mission, to finish whatever his objective was. And now he's going to do that. Once he gets shot at, then you see that switch completely go and you see him completely get focused on what he was doing. And up until that part, there was still a vulnerability that I saw in the, in the portrayal. He goes into the police station to begin the movie and they're giving all this shit. He stands there and just tries not to react to it. I could see that going on in that face. I saw all of that going on. So when they had the flashbacks to Vietnam there, I thought that was already implied. They showed it to us, but I already got that without those flashbacks coming in based on that first scene. So I think he's doing much more there than he's getting credit for. 
I see your point about it looks like it's one note, but my problem with Dennehy's one note is the way he says his lines constantly come across the same way. He constantly comes across flustered and upset, and the way he delivers his lines is repetitive to me almost more than anything else, and I got tired of it. I completely disagree. I flatly disagree. You and I saw a different picture with him in it. Brock, I put in my notes that Dennehy's performance carries this movie. I actually wrote that Stallone doesn't do much and his line delivery is dead. Stallone shows a struggle, but stuntmen can do that. Dennehy gives this film conflict. He has inner conflict. You know he wants Rambo dead, but he's a good cop and he's doing what he thinks is right. And I think that his performance carries that so well that it was a wonderful casting choice and that this movie wouldn't work nearly as well without Dennehy standing right there. And I'm going to be the Brock in this situation and say I come down the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do. I Arnie, I agree with you. His presence is great in this film. I like a lot of his delivery. But again, going back to what I've already said, I just I never got his motivation. I felt his motivation was too one note. So my problem, I guess, was just more of the writing of the character. I liked the acting, just didn't didn't couldn't get fully on board with him, not because of his acting or his facial expressions, but just because of the way his character was written. Yeah, it can entirely be a, a case of that as well, that he didn't have enough to work off of and he didn't have enough to work with. But I got tired of what he was doing. Well, yes, he is constantly blustered. I'm not going to say he had this huge range. I <laughs> like his delivery. I never got bored of him. I always liked seeing him on screen as much as I like seeing Rambo. And I was so glad, in my view, that this movie didn't paint him out just to be the evil authority figure. They tried to give him more. And I think in the scenes they gave him more where he's at the bar and talking and the fact that he's questioning and they're both questioning rambo and teasel are both questioning you guys say that a switch was flipped in rambo you know uh, i gotta disagree because if rambo's switch was flipped wouldn't he kill those cops how many Viet Cong do you think he just kind of warned to leave him alone no he was in the army to kill he wouldn't have just maimed the cops if that switch was fully flipped in the book he did kill the cops. In the movie, he maims the cops because they wanted him to be a little more relatable. Okay. I love the fact that he didn't kill the cops. The talent there is that he didn't kill them. You know, he showed how lethal he was by not killing them. I see your point on that, but I think he got into survival mode and all that. And I think he held back enough to prove his point that he doesn't want this to happen. He kept on saying, I don't want this. And then he showed him them that what he could do versus what he did do. And I thought that worked and he still went into that survival mode. Yeah, I mean, if the switch was flipped, why would he be so willing to constantly walk away? If the switch was flipped, he would have immediately brought that war that he tells Teasel he's going to bring. You know, if you guys go with the switch flipped analogy, it never gets flipped until they fire a rocket at him and lock him in a cave. That's the first time he stops running. He maims the people to stop them from chasing him, but he's still running. He gets Teasel and he says, okay, I'm now going to run some more. Leave me alone. He He's constantly running like a rabbit. He's never the hunter that that switch would flip. No, he's pulling them into his territory. There's even the line where they're like, we're not hunting him. He's hunting us. Yeah, he pulls them into their territory. I just think he's going into survival mode. I I, I almost think Rambo in this film, um, he's not an antagonist or a protagonist. He's a force of nature. And the film is more about what created this force of nature, what created this person that would just take it so far, that's so disconnected from the humanity that we would recognize. And the answer is Dennehy? No, I I think when you get back to the Vietnam War and part of it is how he was treated as a vet. 
because he was trained to be a certain way. He said, you got to go fight for your country. That's what being a patriot is, fighting for your country, defending freedom, defending democracy, fighting communism. And so he puts his whole heart into that, becomes this great killing machine, and then his country totally rejects him to where he can't even go into a town to get a meal. It's almost like examining not who, you know, what's the morality of Rambo, but what is the morality of what created this person that created this situation for me? Again, maybe I read too much into this very explosive action film. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, not but, at but all. That, this, is, this is the kind of movies, action movies that I like where I, I could really get off on these ideas and explore them. No, I agree with you. I think there's much more here than just a, a blow up movie. And I think that's one of the reasons I think all three of us are into this movie because there's so much more there. And you want to know what? As, other than Brock dismissal of Dennehy's performance, I think we're all right. I think everything <laughs> we're seeing in there is there. No, wait a second. I said he got repetitive. I didn't say I didn't <laughs> like him all the way. I said I got tired of him. I did enjoy his performance for the first part of the movie. I just got tired of the same thing over and over again. Now, speaking of this being an action movie, what do you guys think of the action? Because it starts quick, doesn't it? I mean, we're 15 minutes in this movie and the action starts and it doesn't stop in this movie. It has like one five minute lull later on when Rambo's having dinner, but that is it. We are on and it's such a great, thrilling experience. It sucks you in because you like this character right away and the motorcycle chase my only complaint would be for a 21st century the motorcycle chase felt a little dukes of hazard oh dude the 18 with the cars jumping over the camera yeah you know, and, <laughs> totally i felt that the first two-thirds of this movie was very 70s action style with the car chases kind of a little hokey a lot of implied violence which i actually kind of like there's that scene where he's taking out the cops one by one and he makes that booby trap with the big spikes and they go in the guy's leg and you don't get the big bloodshot it's just you see this thing whip into his legs and I love just this cop tries to move and that booby trap just sticks in his legs I could just feel the pain but then you get to the end of this movie where all the explosions really do start happening I feel now we're in the quintessentials 80s action film where you are going to blow up an entire town I also like that they started off with the car chase and then they had the hunting and then they go to the town to blow it up. There's three different kinds of action going on at three different segments. You actually forgot the fourth one, which is the cave and the National I didn't Guard. like that part. Well, that's, <laughs> that's why that's, I didn't bring it but up. But that's an action scene without actual violence. It's like, you know, you're in, it's intense and it's suspenseful and it's kind of interesting what he's going to do and how is he going to do it and how is he going to get out of there. But I thought they could have cut that a little shorter, but I think it was okay. See, I agree with you, Jacob. I said I like this and I do, but normally I'm not a fan of this 70s style, especially this was a low-budget movie for its time, I believe. And, you know, it felt very TV action. It felt like Bionic Man, Dukes of Hazard, A-Team, if we're going to get generous, A-Team. <laughs> <laughs> It really worked, I think, because of the performances involved and the direction. I think that these were really well-staged scenes and done so well that even though, yeah, the car going over the camera, it was specifically the car chase portions that I was really kind of rolling my eyes, but I was still entertained and still enjoying it. But I do, for our listeners, want to say, if you're not somebody who likes 70s aesthetic or 80s, 80s aesthetic, you can't get past older movies. This is going to be a turning point for you. I have There's to no CGI up. flames in this film. No, They're all real. 
No. And I have to back you up on that direction. I thought some of the choices this director made were fantastic. Some of the shot setups were great. And I think the way they went back and forth to different angles to different shots were great. Some of the setups were amazing. How about when he's behind the tree in the foreground and the helicopter in the background? Amazing shot. The cliff shots. Oh, my goodness gracious. The gorge, the beautiful gorge shots. Just some fantastic uh, shots and, and direction for the action sequence in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I'm a huge Ted Kotcha fan. I mean, the shots in Weekend at Bernie's when the toupee is falling <laughs> off and the framing when they're stapling it back on the head and oh just he's he's great and his red shoe diaries was the best there was just yet. but we're talking about first blood and i think in this movie he did a lot of things well so i very much liked the first part of the forest hunt when they got him cornered and things and i i really did enjoy it when the guy was in the helicopter shooting at him i liked when he jumped to the tree i like how they set that whole thing up i had a good time with that i thought it was really well done and very entertaining what's funny for me is going into this, I misremembered this scene, and I may be confusing it with Rambo 4. I've only seen Rambo 4 once, but I really thought Rambo killed all these cops, and then I read the book before going back, and in the book, Rambo killed all these cops, so I'm watching the TV, and I'm like, I remember him slitting a cop's throat. I really remember that Rambo knife going across somebody's throat, and when it was all non-lethal, I'm sitting there kind of dumbfounded, like, when does Rambo kill the people? And he never does. And so that was very shocking to me that it was all non-lethal violence. That's not what I expect from an 80s action movie. And that's not what I expected from Rambo, because growing up in this era, not seeing these movies, I assumed that he was killing everybody. That's what I thought the character was, not knowing it from a hole in the wall, but just based on what I heard. And of course, Rambo 2 is not this movie. This is Rambo First Blood. This is a different movie. Yeah. So one of the cops that gets maimed, David Caruso. Woohoo! Completely different characterization than I'm used to him doing, isn't it? He's playing the young, naive kid cop, and he actually is on the side of Rambo a lot of the time. He's actually trying to talk them out about not doing the way they're doing it. And he's a veteran and all that kind of stuff and trying to show a little bit of respect to the guy. And that was interesting. I, I like that character being there, the younger character being there against the older Galt. It was a good way to present that. I think he's kind of the voice of the audience, isn't he? Saying, just let him go. Look what you've done. And I knew there was something about that guy I liked. He's supposed to be, I think, the audience there. And he, he plays it well. I got to say, young David Caruso, I much prefer to old David Caruso. Officer and a gentleman in first blood beat putting on sunglasses any day. And I like... When Stallone got David Caruso in that hunting sequence when he was camouflaged, I didn't even see him there. It was a really great scene when David Caruso goes down. Yeah. Awesome. And I actually kind of felt bad for his character because he was the one guy on Rambo's side. And no mercy here, man. Rambo's <laughs> taking him down, too. <laughs> but there is mercy. He lived. He lived. You know what I loved about these action scenes also? I love how real everything was. You can see their breath. It was cold when they filmed. <laughs> and you could see particles from the explosions because things really blew up with squibs. And it was actually just so cool to see realism there. I just so enjoyed it. I was I was in it, and I'm just like, yeah, that's cold breath. Stallone must be freezing. It wasn't James Cameron adding in cold breath like in Titanic? It was, it was the real thing, you mean? I know. It I, actually had to be cold? <laughs> I mean, having just seen the social network with all the CGI breath, it was just so nice to see real breath. It's just the little things that make a film work or not work in many cases, and these really made it work for me, was that yeah. it was all practicals because they didn't have any choice, <laughs> but they did it well. 
Agreed. Now we get to see Rambo's knife as he's sewing up his arm after the shooting. Is that a real knife or is that like a prop for the movie? Well, I know they make knives. Well, like it was a real knife after the movie. Yeah, yeah. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> what what surprised knife. me though, well, the knife is such a, a big deal with Rambo. It's you think of Rambo and you think of his knife, great sharp killing phallic object that he runs around with. What surprised me though in First Blood is it's not the star of this movie like I think it's going to be from what I remember in two and three where that's like a major thing is a bunch of shots with the knife here. Yeah. You see him pull it out. He cuts a tarp up with it. He uses it a few times to, you know, do a few little things, threaten some people, but it's, it's not the big star that I expected it to be because that became such an icon of the character. So once Galt dies, don't you guys get why Dennehy keeps pushing? Now he's trying to avenge his deputy. This guy killed one of his men. But we know that Rambo didn't really kill him. He just threw the rock at the helicopter and he fell out. And obviously they think he killed him, but he, he was killed by the circumstances, of course, chasing after this guy. But the man was being so aggressive. You know what I mean? So, yes, you, he wants to avenge his friend's death, but his friend really did it to himself. Well, yes, we the audience know that. But again, I'm just saying I could see Teasel's point of view during this. I guess I could see Teasel's point of view if Galt wasn't such an asshole. Or they'd establish some kind of repertoire between the two because the guy's a jerk. We already said he's worse than Teasel. He's the ultimate crooked cop. And maybe if there's some scene in there, something about them taking their kids to football practice together or something, I could have sympathized more with Teasel. But Galt was a jerk. And, and so I, I don't know why he would have any friends or anyone would stick up for him. Because they've been friends since you've been wiping your, since your mama was wiping your nose. And I'm going to pin that medal to his liver. That's That was his excuse on why he kept on going after Rambo. Even David Caruso, I believe, sells Galt out towards the end, saying, no, they kind of pushed Rambo to do all this. But even so, it's one of his men. Whether or not his man did it wrong, does that mean that you should let the person who caused that deputy's death by throwing the rock? If Rambo hadn't run out of there and hadn't thrown the rock, Galt wouldn't be dead. You'd definitely get Rambo on a second degree. And if Tiesel wasn't a jerk and tried to kick a guy out of town who wanted just a meal, Galt wouldn't be dead either. I mean, well, yes, yes. So many <laughs> rabbit holes to go down. <laughs> it's the butterfly <laughs> effect of Rambo. There you go. <laughs> But I still say I see Teasel's point, and I never found him to be just villainous. I get that we're supposed to side more with Rambo, and I do, but I just, I never saw Teasel as this big bad villain, and I don't think we're supposed to because we get so many scenes explaining his point of view, and those are primarily told to Troutman, played by Richard Crenna. Yeah, Troutman. Brock, do you have a problem with Troutman? It sounds like you got a problem with Troutman, and if you do, we're going to fight. We can fight then. Ding, ding, round one. I think the character is great. I think the idea for the character is great. I actually got the impression that he wasn't in the army anymore, and he heard about this on his own or something, because why did he come by himself? But I like the idea of this character very much. I'm not too crazy about the portrayal. I actually found him, and sometimes, very fey, actually. The way he stood, the way in his line readings bothered me a lot of the time. I, I don't understand why he presented some of those lines that way. I was thinking Ed Harris would have been fantastic in this role, because this role is so needed in this movie. So I love the role. 
And I like what the character was doing. And I liked him against Dennehy. But I think maybe some of my problem with Dennehy's performance, truly, was that I don't think Krennan was giving him much to work off of. I really did not like the portrayal of the character at all. It bothered me until the end scene. It really bothered me the rest of the movie. Jacob, did you get anything Faye off of Troutman? I didn't, but Brock isn't wrong from listening to the commentaries, I found out. Here's what I, I liked Troutman. I loved his portrayal. I loved how the lines were delivered because he was so the opposite of what you think of the tough army general yelling and screaming. And he was just so matter of fact. Rambo eats things that will make a Billy Goat puke. Yes. You know, that's that's just that's just how he is. I guess I liked how almost normal in every day this horrendous situation seems to him and it doesn't get him upset. It doesn't bother him. I mean. That's what I liked. It was just so different for this tough guy, you know, military general. He just came in. And here's the facts. You know, give him guns, give him fists, give him whatever. He's going to kill you. I like him, too, because, he, you know, to go back to our Friday the 13th retrospective, he plays the role of Willie, the crazy town person, because he's there to, again, impress upon you how foreboding Rambo is. If you didn't get it from watching it, but maybe because Rambo was non-lethal, you need somebody there to to tell you you are dealing with an all-american grade a badass who will fuck you up and that's what mm -hmm. troutman does and troutman does it well i think i like jacob said it's a non-stereotypical military delivery and his introductory line i made fun of it kind of at the beginning of this podcast god didn't create rambo i did i i just kind of like that and the way he kind of borders on proud yes and I didn't care for that. I just think for this character, for the lines he was saying, I needed a little more of the typical kind of colonel character. Because, yes, the lines he was saying were absolutely needed for this movie. The character, again, is needed. But I had trouble believing this man was in Vietnam with Rambo. When listening to Stallone's commentary, it turned out Kirk Douglas was initially Troutman. Mm -hmm. And Douglas showed up with a bunch of rewrites that said at the end, Troutman must kill Rambo. And then Troutman becomes Rambo. And at the end, you see Troutman like coming up behind Teasel in Rambo garb and everybody else was like Kirk Douglas your stone and so Kirk Douglas left and they had to find somebody just on the cusp and they ended up getting Richard Crenna and Richard Crenna had just come off of Broadway playing a gay man and that was the delivery that he started giving all these lines <laughs> they had to pull him back and say no no and Crenna just had to tell the director just tell me how to say it because he was learning his lines as he went and yeah you're not wrong he was playing it for a while while as a gay man, but I never saw it. What I loved about his performance is you don't know if he's there to help Rambo or to kill Rambo, and you get both impressions. He's proud of Rambo, but then he's like, the only one who can stop Rambo is me. And so stop him doesn't mean talking him down. It means putting a bullet in him. Mm. And so I like that kind malevolence, like the father figure who will train you and kill you. And that's what I liked him about, too. You never trust his intentions because he is proud of what Rambo could do. He's proud that they've created this killing machine. You send up 200 men against him and you better be sure to you have a good supply of body bags. I mean, he's, yes. he is proud of that. And. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever willing because the whole time he's like, yeah, just let him go. We'll pick him up later. And even when he sides, you know, with Rambo at the end, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can for you. Like, I never know what his intentions are. If he would have pulled a gun out at the end of this movie and shot Rambo, like I almost half expected that. I didn't know where he was going. I And that's what I liked is that he was just so almost cold and matter of fact. Uh, you know, again, with Rambo, I talked about he, how he was this force of nature that he's almost a non-character. And same with Troutman. 
human. The way the military is portrayed here, it's just that they have a job to do and they do it. And they exist outside of this different sense of morality that most of us uh, civilians come to just expect from others. And I love how Teasel plays off of this because he's like, is Troutman going to help Rambo? Is Troutman going to enable him to escape or is Troutman going to kill him? And I don't think Dennehy's cool with either. He wants the law, you know, to steal from one of Stallone's later movies. (laughs) Teasel is the law. I got that off these performances. Liked all three leads and hands down, liked all three of them. I got all of this from the from the movie, despite not being crazy about two of the performances. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Once the first wave of action happens and Stallone's out in the forest and we meet Troutman, there's this reporter who gives the report of what's going on. His line was laugh out loud funny. He said, only the skills of law, as law enforcement officials kept them alive. And I thought that was really funny. And I thought it was perfectly exactly what they would say. Of course, they're going to side with these people because they have no idea what the other side is. Yeah, I mean, there's the line in this film, I believe Troutman says it, there are no friendly civilians, and that's why Rambo acts the way he does. And this, it's just another example of it. The, the media, they're going to gloss over it. They're going to tell the civilian side of the story, not the Vietnam vet side. Mm-hmm. So Rambo's out in the woods and finds a kid hunting and tells him go away. If police have the mountain blocked off so Rambo can't leave, how'd the kid get in? They may have been there for days hunting. I have family that are hunters and they sit out in the wilderness for days covered in cat urine to cover up their human smell. I mean, that's what hunters do. And this is a hunting town that they're in. So Rambo in the cave, what did you guys think? Was that suspense filled? Was it just an obstacle? Did it play for you? For me, this whole cave mine shafting that he's crawling through, it dragged. It needed to be cut down. You know, if I wanted to watch Sylvester Stallone walk around in the dark for a couple of hours, I'd watch Daylight. And I've watched (laughs) Daylight and I don't want to go through that again. You know, I've seen him take on armed men. I've seen him, you know, dodge a bazooka. Now he's crawling around in the dark. It, it just the intensity level just isn't there. I like the rat scene where he's crawling through and all these rats just start jumping on him. That was squeamish. But I, you know, I didn't need the big, long, drawn out shots of him, you know, checking out cans for spare kerosene. I think that they could have cut the scenes down. I think what they were doing is kind of giving us a little bit of a reset before the ending. And I think the movie kind of needed that breath a little bit. But I think they could have had a much shorter breath than they actually took. See, if you go back to, you know, the whole Joseph Campbell myth and whatnot, this was actually a big scene of Rambo's progression as a character. You know, he's going through a tunnel and coming out the end at the light. It's his rebirth scene. I took this as a very big thing. And I was getting some of it initially. And the more I've read about this, the more I see it. I think that this is entirely needed to show Rambo's conflict against himself and against nature and as well as against man. It's so much stronger in the book. And all of this is from the book. Except for in the book, it was bats instead of rats. All of this was in the book. And it was just such a long period of the book where Rambo is coming to terms with his own struggle. He's been pushed this far. He's possibly going to die in this endless cave. He doesn't know what's at the end of it. He's coming to, and when he comes out of it is when he goes on the warpath. Until this point, he's the hunted. After this point is when he's really the hunter. Yeah, I I, I guess I just didn't see that as him crawling through a vagina <laughs> and what that did for his character. <laughs> <laughs> 
nope, I didn't get that at all. I saw all the Frankenstein mythology in here and all that. Didn't get the Joseph Campbell rebirth stuff going on. I didn't see that struggle. To me, it was, this is Rambo. He could get out of any situation because that's what he is trained to do. <laughs> and we got to take some time up. So we're going to film him going through this cave. Again, I thought it was kind of a reboot for this for the movie. Take a breather, relax a little bit before we get to the end of the movie. Before they said you got to dig him out to get the body out. Well, no one else knew there was another entrance to this cave around the around the corner. They could have gone down that way and found him. But anyway, that's another hero there. I didn't really find it suspenseful, Arnie, but I didn't find it a bad part either. I just thought it went a little too long. I did not see what you saw on that. I will agree with you though when he comes out, a decision has been made to to make a point and he does go to make his point. What did you guys think about the portrayal of the National Guard? I actually like that because, again, a lot of this film to me was exploring Vietnam and the vets and how they were treated and how their experience was different. So I love the juxtaposition where you have this one guy who's taken on the National Guard, the weekend warriors, and like he steps out once from the cave and shoots at a couple of rounds at him and they're ready to give up. They're, they're like, we're done. We're, we're not going after him. This guy scares us. So I, I really liked that whole juxtaposition there where here's this guy that's a hardened soldier that's been through war, you know, and, and then here's these guys, you know, who's really done their duty for the, their country, who's really seen the results of what being maybe a patriot is or, or at least doing your duty, fighting for freedom. And what is again, what does that turn you into? You got Rambo on one side and you got these weekend warriors who have to go back to the sports goods store or whatever, wherever they <laughs> work by monday yeah i love that, that was, line by the way he's like i gotta be at work on monday i can't stay up here yeah i loved it too i thought it was great and they all saying i'm not going in there <laughs> yeah i i like the juxtaposition there too of and it really made me compare you know 80s army you know with their weekend war in grenada versus hardened vets of nam and korea they forgot what war was and I think a lot of this, especially the Vietnam War, when you look at the historical context of the war, that was the first war on television. That was the first war where civilians could see what America, for better or for worse, had to do to maintain its standard of living. Uh, there, there's a great Marvel comic book series called The Nom that was written and edited by Vietnam vets. And one of the issues that always stuck out to me is one of the – that's he returns home and his parents were like yeah we can't believe you guys use napalm that that's so horrible that you're doing that and and from his view he's like what are you talking about napalm is what saved my ass so many times when we're getting shot at by charlie there was this whole different view because we saw it on tv but from this safe perspective where we weren't getting the bullets you know flying at us so i like that you know the whole national guard thing is just another image of here's what they think being in the military is but here's what it really is i thought the posing as iwo jima went a little too far it was portraying them as too buffoonish i thought it worked just because i had already seen how they act and how they totally back down again after being shot at by a couple of rounds i thought it worked that, that it seems like that's something they would do is parody what they had seen in real wars so rambo escapes the cave and he must have seen raiders of the lost ark the year before because yeah. he steals <laughs> yeah. an army truck yeah 
And uh, another great line here. Don't look at me. Look at the road. That's how accidents happen. You cannot have thought that was a great line. That was such a groaner. I was like, oh, my God, Rambo is making jokes. That needed to be cut. That was so an editing mistake to leave in. I laughed my head off. I thought that was the funniest thing coming from this guy who can cause any accident to happen. He's telling us, watch the road. That's an accident. I thought it was really funny, actually. I enjoyed it. And for me, that was a typical Sylvester Stallone moment. Which is not a good thing. Judge, no, it's not. That, that's, that's your judge dread moment of the movie <laughs> and that's yeah it was like a sour note in the middle of a symphony that one it was like it stank up the place i was so glad when that other guy jumped out of the car what well, once the other guy got out of the car was so happy because then stallone stopped talking again for a minute <laughs> in there are 20 minutes i i like the line i thought it was funny i laughed out loud so he goes to town and he makes a point i have it in my notes Ooh, pretty explosion this is where i mean this is the 80s movie genre right here where we are going to blow everything up and it is going to blow up big. Let me ask you guys a couple questions here. So Rambo's driving the truck through town and he smashes through these cop cars and the music goes bum 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 bum. It's really heroic music. Is he a hero? He's coming back to fuck up this town. He could have escaped at this point. He's coming back. Is he still a hero? Does his coming back make sense? It's it's what he's got to do for the movie, but from a person we're rooting for, do we want to see him tear this town apart? I mean, again, for me, I, I never felt I was rooting for him. You know, I've, I've gone through that. So for me, this was just the logical extension of his care. He's not a hero. He's this psychologically disturbed guy. I mean, for me, this is more of a character study than your regular, you know, hero, antagonist, villain, that type of movie. For me, this is a character study of John J. Rambo. Yeah, I agree with the music. They use the music. They use those cues. Here comes the hero. I agree with you there it was 82 that's what you did you didn't have a lot you know yeah in the 70s and late 60s you they explored those kind of films with anti-heroes or character studies they weren't big successes this was an action film so i I think they just played into some of those conventions i think it was a bad choice i have it in my notes as well music swells and he bursts through I think something had to be there, but I'm not sure if that kind of hero swell of music was appropriate at all, actually. But I agree with Jacob completely. He had to go back to that town and screw that town up. It, it, based on what happened in this movie and based what happened, as I said before, the, coming out of that cave, he decided, I'm going to go back to the town. He, he, that was the decision he made there. And I think that that's how the movie had to end. He brought the fight back to them because he was not allowed to be part of that town. He's going to take it away from them. I got that it was just revenge. I didn't see it as he's taking the town away. I saw it as basically what he did, going for Teasel. But it kind of digs him as the good guy. You know, I think the people who made this movie want us to root for Rambo. But as somebody who kind of sympathized with Teasel during all of this, it made me less sympathize for Rambo. This town means so much to Teasel. To destroy it is getting back at him. Right. I agree. Yeah. But was it something symbolic about the Vietnam vet tearing apart the heart of America the way that they felt torn apart, do you think? Or was it just Rambo versus Teasel at this point? No, for me, I mean, again, this is all about how the vets were treated when they came home. And we get this closing monologue that we could talk about where that this really comes out is they go off, they fight for their country, defend freedom. And 
America craps all over them. They can't get a job. They're poisoned by the same weapons that they were fighting with, with Agent Orange and that. The country crapped all over them. And so, yeah, that's what he's going to do. Again, going back to that line, there are no friendly civilians. He's at war with everyone because he, you know, he, he went to fight another country where there were villains. And then he comes home and he finds out he's the villain. He has no friends anywhere. So he's willing to fight anyone to take anything out. And he takes out Teasel by shooting him through the roof. And again, I, I felt kind of bad for Teasel because he didn't even put up a good fight at the end. Uh, my favorite was that he found Teasel by blowing up a bunch of stuff. And, and, you know, Pop goes the weasel. He sees Teasel's head pop up over the ledge of a roof and knows exactly where he I don't know. That just struck me as kind of funny is that he totally played Teasel and like just got him to give away his location and then took him out. Yeah, real cheaply blew out the uh, the, the sky roof where he falls through and just takes him out. Yeah, it, it was kind of anticlimactic, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I think so, too, is Teasel should have put up more of a fight there. I, well, I the wanted sh- the, the, the standoff, you know, Western style, high noon where they draw guns. That's what I was expecting. I was expecting a different kind of confrontation than this. Absolutely. I completely agree with you both. Teasel was on the roof. I expected him to take some sniper shots at Rambo. He never got a shot off. Did you get the impression at all he was scared or something because he was hiding up on the roof or was trying? I got the impression he was looking for a shot, but he never took one. You know, I got the impression he was moving around or when he heard it, he moved to the other side of the roof to see where he could see. But we never got a, a good chance to see him actually look, looking to aim through the rifle, except for that one time of, as Jacob called it, the pop goes the weasel shot. I was hoping he would try to do something, but instead we just see him running around the roof. Well, and again, I think that's because Rambo, I mean, he takes out the lights on one side of town, so Teasel runs over there to see what's going on. Then he takes out the lights on the other side, so he, I mean, he never can find him, and then he sets off the ammo store, so there's like a million bullets going off. Teasel can never get a draw on him. He's looking for him. I think he was ready to take a shot, just couldn't find him. So then we get Rambo and Troutman and Stallone's I won another Oscar nomination speech. I didn't like this scene. Because of his acting or specifically why? I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the whole, it's not about this town. I just have been so spit upon and it's all what happened to me in Nam. I think it's a mixture of it's too convenient and Stallone just didn't pull it off right. And at one point he turns into John Travolta. He had no legs. <laughs> Yeah, I remember watching this when I was younger, like the first time I saw it, and I had no idea what he was saying during this monologue because he's like crying through it. I could not make out what he was saying. Um, I was able to understand him. Yeah, I, I don't think the acting, I felt it served its purpose. I felt it was adequate enough to do what they were trying to do. It, yeah, the delivery wasn't the best. And I have the same kind of feeling to it. The imagery of what he was talking about hit me like a sack of bricks. And what he was talking about, I got full on. But the way he delivered it was... It was fine. Adequate's a great word. It went on just a little too long for me, was I guess part of it. The beginning part was fine, but when he starts just going through all of it, it was just, it was so different than the person we'd seen. And maybe this was supposed to be, you know, his breakdown and we're supposed to see a different person, but it felt so inconsistent. And I imagine, and in reading, there are some stories of this. If you were in Vietnam, you might really relate to this. You know, Jacob, you talked about having relatives who don't talk about Vietnam. And if they did, it might be something like this, this breaking down. And so maybe they could really relate, but the way it was performed and with this character we've seen so far it seemed like a 
A, a bad performance, and B, something out of a different movie where we weren't just cheering because he was blowing shit up. If for me, here, here's why it worked enough is because he was with Troutman. He was back with his father. He was back with the one person in the world because his whole troop had died. You know, all his military mates had passed on. Here's the one person in the world who could understand what he's going through, that he could talk these things out through instead of stabbing people, which is how he's used to dealing with everything else for the first three quarters of the film. Here's the one time that he could talk to the person that can relate to him and knows what he's going through. And that's why it worked for me. I'll agree with you on that. If this had been a silent movie and I'd seen Troutman come in and I'd seen Rambo's lips move and then I saw Rambo break down and surrender, I would have gone with all of it. It was just the worst. So you just didn't like the acting. Yeah, and and the acting and the writing. But I liked the whole concept of it. I've said this many different ways throughout this podcast today that I liked a lot of what the movie was giving me, but not always how it was given to me. And so I felt that I had to help the movie along a little bit. For example, Troutman. I like the character and what he was doing there, but not the way he was presented all the time. Well, same thing with this scene. I like what I was hearing from Rambo and the motivations of what he was doing the rest of the movie kind of get explained a little bit here with the psychological issues he's having. And unfortunately, as we all three have said, the performance wasn't all there. But what he was saying completely came through to me. So I kind of liked the writing here because he described a horrific act that his friend went through. And I think that this character, if he said that to Tiesel on the ground as an explanation of what he was doing this entire movie, it would never have worked. I, too, think that with this monologue, if he pulled out a gun and shot Rambo right there, it wouldn't have worked. I think that monologue and then why they walk out together is what's what's going on there. You see, he was able to talk him down by talking it out with him instead of a violent end to Rambo. And I thought that was nice, a way to end the movie in, in that sense. Now, let me ask. You said a violent end to Rambo. Of course, everybody knows there's an alternate ending where Rambo asks Troutman to shoot him, and Troutman does, and Rambo dies. Would that have been a better ending? Obviously not for the franchise, (laughs) but for this character, did he deserve to die? The only way to turn him off for good, to make sure he never went crazy again, death, yeah. That would have been the answer. I don't know if I would have bought it, though, if Rambo was sitting there begging Troutman to shoot him. If they were going to go with that ending, I would have liked Troutman to come up, realize that, hey, I need to turn this machine off, reactivated this monster, and now it's time for me to turn it off. I'm the one that that holds that line between civilians and, and these crazy military operatives that we have to design to serve our purposes. I, I have to keep that line, you know. I I would have bought it if Troutman came to that decision, not with Rambo coming to that decision, though. I wouldn't have liked that. A hack way to do that would have been if Rambo came to that decision while he was confronting Tiesel and let Tiesel kill him and that kind of thing. That would have been I would have been very unhappy with that ending. I like the ending of the movie. I, I don't really have too strong a feeling on if he got if he died, it would have made a big difference to me. I think, yeah, I think I don't like that ending. I think I like the ending that the movie had now. And, you know, a lot of people write it off that the reason Rambo died at the end of this movie is because how it, he died at the end of the book. Well, it's a very different type of thing. And if you want to find out about that, listen to my review of First Blood at BooksAndNachos.com. I sure will. So 
Arnie, Jacob, do you recommend First Blood? Jacob. I do recommend First Blood. Uh, I have a feeling this might be the only one I recommend because this film, to me, what I thought Rambo was, this big, you know, rah, 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 America, we're going to kill those foreigners that don't believe the same stuff as us. This is a very different movie than what I think a lot of people think of when they think of Rambo. For me, the power of this movie was dealing with the Vietnam stuff. That's why when Arnie, when you said, oh, you know, they could have glossed over that, no, th- that would have ruined this movie for me. The, the whole, again, because of family relations, and friends that are the connections to the Vietnam War. It's a very different piece of American history than a lot of the other wars that we think about. And even today, you know, uh, with Afghanistan and Iraq, a lot of people don't think we should be there, but they're always saying we need to support our troops. It's not their fault what's going on. It's the government's fault. And there's this distinction between the, the troop and, and the government that there wasn't back in the days of Vietnam, whereas, you know, the, the troops were the government and they were just carrying out evil Uncle Sam's plan. For me, that's the power of this movie. You know, there's again, there's also the Frankenstein uh, subtext that I really like about these monsters that we create to carry out ensure that we have a certain kind of lifestyle in this country. There's a lot going on in this film, and that's what I like. There, I like the action, the 70s style car chases and then, you know, the explosions at the end. I liked all that stuff. There's a good balance of action and, and thinking and smarts and writing going on here. No, it's not the perfect movie. You know, we discussed some of those flaws, but, you know, I like Troutman a lot. You know, there's a, so much stuff I like about this movie. Yes, I, I actually really highly recommend checking out First Blood. Arnie. Yes, high, high recommend. I really enjoyed this movie. I do have a couple of quibbles that I mentioned, but also I don't have some of the quibbles that you guys had. I like the performances in this. I like the action in this. One thing we didn't talk about, I love the score to this. I thought that Jerry Goldsmith just really gave it a great score. After I saw this, when I picked it up on the Steelbook, the very thing I did within minutes of the end credits rolling was go to Amazon and purchase the score. And then I hate those fucking end credits because they had to put lyrics to this wonderful score and make it a cheesy, sappy song. Yeah, that, that oh. was bad. That was Horrible. terrible. And now I, now I can't hear da-da-da without it's a long road when you're <laughs> on your own fuckers why'd you do that to this great score but with the, just a few missteps it is such a great movie and it's so much more than you think we were preparing for this retrospective i asked my wife marjorie have you ever seen first blood she's like i don't like rambo have you seen first blood i don't like what rambo is have you seen first blood because don't take the uhf we're as this movie it's not what this movie is this movie is so much more yes high high recommend love this movie and i highly recommend it as well i had a really good time with this movie and what arnie just said is exactly what happened to me i got a movie that i did not expect here people i got a movie with a character that based on what i know from the little i know from pop culture knowledge that's not what I got here. I got a, a good movie with, with some good performances, as we talked about. But I also had a lot of problems with it, different problems than these two did. But it still works as a movie on a lot of different ways. And that's refreshing. It's nice to have a smart action movie like this. It has a lot going on in here. And it was a pleasant, wonderful surprise. And uh, the score is good, as Arnie said. Everything we talked about during this podcast is true. It, it's just a good movie. And yes, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's good. It's worth your time. 
So if you like this podcast, please go to our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com and find our other series. We have the Terminator, Star Trek. We have the Saw series we just finished up. A whole bunch of different kinds of series you can find there at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We're Now Playing Pod, where the three of us will post little mini reviews of things we happen to watch that day or that week on video or cable or in the theater. Uh, Just an off-the-cuff kind of thing that you can hear us and and you can join that conversation about what you thought of those movies as well if you follow us on Facebook. So I advise you doing that. And we also, I mentioned our social network review. It's a Facebook exclusive review. So if you are a Facebook fan, hit the FB exclusives tab at the top of our page and you will be able to hear Stuart, Marjorie, and I dissect Facebook itself on the social network. Fantastic. And really, listen for the bloopers on that. I think it's got some of the foulest bloopers in Now Playing's history. (laughs) (laughs) Well worth a Facebook account just to hear those bloopers. And voting is now open for the Podcast Awards at podcastaward.com. This is for the nomination process. If you enjoy the show, go there, give us a nomination. There's a couple categories you can nominate us in. Uh, People's Choice and, and Movie and Film because it, it's just nice to be recognized. The, the, a lot of hard work here. I, I don't, I'm not getting rich off it. Are you, Arnie? No, we do obviously appreciate everyone who's donated. Our donation drive was very successful, but we're not getting rich. We're still doing this out of a labor of love. We certainly can't survive off of doing this. We do this because we love it and we love all of the listener feedback and we were nominated last year. I'd, I'd love to be nominated again this year to know that our quality is staying high and if you don't feel we're worth of a nomination drop us an email where do we need to improve but last year you guys got us nominated and i'd like to see it happen again i'd like to at least know we're as good i think this year we got better with nightmare on elm street and texas chainsaw and child's play and all of the movies we did the lost boys series i think that we really had some good series based on listener feedback this year so please podcastawards.com and nominate us for people's choice and movies and film. We'd appreciate it. We love you guys. Love our listeners. Absolutely. We wouldn't do this if we had no listeners. <laughs> so we will reconvene when we talk about Rambo First Blood Part 2 in our next podcast. You did everything to make this private war happen. You've done enough damage. This mission is over, Rambo. Do you understand me? This mission is over. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Rambo Retrospective Series. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! You asked me, I didn't ask you! You can find the other episodes in this Rambo Retrospective Series at NowPlayingPodcast.com in the archive section, as well as our review of other classic movie series including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, The Karate Kid, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. You're the only one I trust. Be sure to visit BooksAndNachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews of each of David Morrell's Rambo novels and an interview with the author. I'm just amazed that he allowed any of your posse to live. You're lucky to be breathing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a positive review for us on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm giving you a direct order to withdraw from this project. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. John, I told you that I'd help you when I could. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place, buddy. 
Now Playing presents the Rambo Retrospective Series podcasts are edited by Jay, Arnie, and Brock. And there isn't one of us that doesn't want to be someplace else. But this is what we do. The Rambo films are the intellectual property of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. Don't tell the law. I hear it's me. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. Live for nothing, or die for something. Now playing is copyright and trademarked Venganza Media Incorporated 2010, all rights reserved. Today we're talking about First Blood. No, I'm like, I can't do it. I sound like a vampire. Forget it. <laughs> Today we're talking about First Blood. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. One blood, two blood. Ah, ah. Directed by Ted Kotcheff. Is it directed is... by Ted Kotcheff? Directed by Ted Kotcheff. Is it directed by Ted Kotcheff? I'm doing D- David Caruso from Jade, don't we? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, am I in a mammoth film all of a sudden? <laughs> I mean, can you think of a bigger 80s icon than, than Rambo? Well, there's, there's quite a few, but... He's right up there, the top ten. I, I can't believe I just picked myself. Why don't you just start that over? Yeah. Can, can you think of a bigger... I, I can. E.T. Yeah, <laughs> sure I can. Mr. Uh, T. Mr. T, yes, good point. Muppet Aviator. Get on it. I, I money there. I want... You know what? I, I want a, a team-up of Rambo and Rocky, where he plays both roles. Absolutely. Re- sequels to both franchises. Let's get on that, Hollywood. I want that too. I want it too. I really do. <laughs> and, they, and they can take on the Predator and the Alien. And if Mr. T has to be in there somewhere too, I will pay I, money for it. I, I, I am a movie making machine. <laughs> but Mr. T also has to be in there twice, both as Clubber Lang and as B.A. Baracus. <laughs> sure. And if you throw a Muppet in there, then Arnie can go see it. If this was Password and you said Brian Dennehy, <laughs> Cocoon would not be where I go. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you say Brian Dennehy, I'd say Tommy Boy. We'd both be pissed. <laughs> I'd be like, why didn't you say Caterpillar? I don't know. If Stallone played Bernie, will it played as well, Arnie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I want to see that movie now. <laughs> Next week, folks, we start our Weekend at Bernie's retrospective. They're talking about a remake, so don't laugh too hard.